two-part question. Did you make any New Year's resolutions? And probably more importantly, have you already broken some of the New Year's resolutions that you set? I'm not really a resolution sort of person. Uh, well, I know that's not to say I haven't done it before. Uh, I've never really done it successfully, I don't think. <laughs> um, do you not do the usual sort of alcohol and go to the gym and fitness that seems most people have that kind of a resolution? Well, I kind of started on a new fitness campaign in about September when I was just, I was so unfit at that point And I was like, right, I've got to get going with this. So I'm, I'm doing really well with my fitness and I'm carrying that on through to the new year. So why don't, if we, if we say that I started my resolution in September, then I'm doing really well. Okay. So that's my, the resolution that you set me, one of mine was, I can't talk about snacks, which oh, yeah. so far has been fine. But as, <laughs> as we know, I'm off to Australia soon and I, <laughs> I have to sort of keep telling myself, <laughs> don't talk about it. It mustn't be taught. It's going to be so hard. That is going to be, I've done the usual. I think I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not, I don't drink a lot, but I'm going to do the, it, it's an easy one for me. Don't drink in January because I don't really drink a lot. So yeah, it's the same for me. I could do that pretty comfortably. So that one is going to be fine. Then there's the kind of you're going to eat everything that's sort of green and leafy and smoothies. Go back to my, I stopped. Well, yeah, I stopped making the smoothies. It wasn't because I got untold grief from you and other people that they just looked a funny colour. I don't uh, think you I'm, were doing I'm, it right. I just really, I don't. <laughs> I think just buy them. <laughs> how do you do, how do you do it wrong? You just put things in, you whiz it, and you drink well, it. They're not supposed to look like that. That brown sludgy colour. <laughs> when you buy them from awful, a shop, they're a bright green. Those ones look nice. Go with those. I think Christmas took over. So now Christmas is... How was your Christmas treeless Christmas? Was it? Did you feel it was missing something? No, it was very Christmassy. <laughs> I had plenty of cheer. We had... And actually, in terms of the Christmas cards, I, I actually gave out one Christmas card. I don't know what came Who over. Who was the me. lucky I recipient? <laughs> I know. It was my cousin. Because <laughs> it wasn't me and it wasn't our producer Abby. It so wasn't, no. <laughs> Who has the card? It was it was my cousin Annabelle. I kind of just went over to her house on Christmas Eve and I just thought it'd be really odd if I didn't at least bring a Christmas card with me. So I, I brought a, a a Christmas card with me to well, we just popped in, in the morning for, you know, a cup of tea and a mince pie just to say hello. Uh so I bought a Christmas card with me. I probably received about nine. I think, okay. which is not bad for somebody who doesn't send Christmas cards ever. So nine's all right. I think that will go down. I think next year when we speak, <laughs> you'll receive maybe six. And I think that number just dwindles because the, it comes around again and that person sits there with their list going, did I receive one from Naomi? No. And you sort of go oh, to the bottom of the list. So People I think, are not that childish. I think Next year, I'm going to send you about 30, but I think most people are just going to sort of put a line through Naomi and say, no, we've done it for a few years now. Now, my um, my tennis off season has been has been really long <laughs> since we finished our Christmas Mega Balls edition of tennis. I've been oh, yeah. sort of watching and keeping on it, but I haven't worked in it. And I remember we were chatting the other day. And you're like, oh, I'm setting my alarm. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I was thinking, what are you talking about? But of course, the tennis season had started, and you were already back at it. Yes, uh, yeah, it was uh, before New Year. Because the thing is, is that oh. you know, obviously, the tennis tournaments start in the first week of the year, and sometimes New Year is really inconsiderate with its timing. And it was on the Tuesday <laughs> was was New Year's Eve. Is that right? Or 
No, Monday. Monday was New Year's Eve. Tuesday was New Year's Day. So as a player, you always just play through New Year, um, which has always been quite frustrating. I, I, I used to play in Auckland most of the time. Nice. Yeah, great tournament. But I, we, the hotel was right next to the Sky Tower. And so you're scheduled for a match at like 11am the next day. And then it's obviously midnight and the fireworks are going off in the Sky Tower. <laughs> There's no, you, you just got to go with it. You can't complain about not getting the sleep. It's just the way it goes. But I've been working on Pune this year um, and it's called Pune not Puna as I as I learned very quickly uh, and I actually it was quite nice for me because I won my first ever professional tournament in Pune Did although you? I thought when it was, was called Pune at the time so <laughs> that was back in oh, 2005 2006 maybe wow um, yeah I was only a baby I think I was 16 so 16 yeah. oh, and what time, was it the same time of year uh, no 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 was it, it was uh, in October so the tournament in Pune used to be, it's been in Chennai for 20 years. It's a men's event. It's been in Chennai for 20 years and it's now just moved to Pune uh, for the last two years. It's amazing when you say things like that, that you're 16 and, and you're off to India to play in tennis tournaments. I think some, sometimes I have to sort of think about the age of people that at 16, I was not traveling either on my own or with one other person what were you doing? to places like India, 16. Was I doing GCSEs? Yeah. 16. I was probably, probably in school working there'd be family holidays that you would go on at times oh, when you're, you're not just in school the, mod- but, the model yeah, teenagers Gigi. family holidays <laughs> studying exams no 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 now at what point did I say I was studying <laughs> <laughs> oh you were in school I said I was but just not my, listening <laughs> I said I, was, I said I was in school and going on holidays but it, it, it sometimes you forget that at this at this age at 16 and there'll be there'll be people of that age who are setting off before around Christmas just after New Year's to go and play in these tournaments at other side of the world and I don't know, every now and then it kind of hits me that you've got very young people, male and female, just how did you feel at the start of a season when you you were heading off again, knowing what sort of lay ahead of you? Well, I had to go before Christmas normally. Um, Before? Yeah, I normally flew on Christmas Eve because I was in qualies of Auckland. Um, I never got a direct acceptance there. So I think I qualified definitely once, but yeah. And uh, so I had to leave before. Yeah. Wow. And um, so I just kind of went down by myself and I, I let my coach have his Christmas because I was you know, the main reason for going early is obviously to get used to the time difference. And the first couple of sessions, you're just hitting and running the jet lag out of your legs and that sort of thing. So I was very nice to my coaches and I said, you know what, you can fly on Boxing Day. It's fine. I'll do a couple of days. <laughs> but then it meant <laughs> I had Christmas just completely by myself. So. Um, that was a bit rubbish. As it, when you say completely by yourself, were there, did you was it with other people on the tennis or were you literally in your room on your own? No, no, yeah, just completely, other- completely on my own because um, I would fly on Christmas Eve, spend Christmas Day just adjusting to the time difference, and then I probably would practice on Boxing Day, and then I'd probably go and see people on on that day. Maybe yeah. it's kind of flexible. I mean, it's just another day, really. I, I think that's the thing I, because. I'm not an athlete of, of any level. I, uh, you ran at you know, your marathon runner, remember? And, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> But when it comes to Christmas, it's a time with family or friends and you don't work or you try not to work, although working in sport is quite difficult. But you forget for some people, like footballers who'll be training, they'll have their Christmas lunch normally. It, it varies from club to club. But say at Chelsea, they will have their Christmas lunch in the morning. They will train... So they'll train Christmas Eve, they'll have Christmas Day morning off, they'll then train 
Christmas night to play on Boxing Day. And when you speak to them and say, that's horrific, that's all they've ever known. The chances are, from a very young age, that is all they've ever known. And so for them, it's just, well, that's what we do. And I think in the sense, as you say, when you were setting off on Christmas Eve, you weren't thinking, this is terrible. You were thinking, well, this is my job and off I go. Yeah, and it's not that big of a deal because it's Christmas Day. It happens every year. The the things that are frustrating where you have to miss people's weddings and family events that aren't going to happen again. Um, that's where you kind of feel a little bit, you know, if you're, if you have to go somewhere or, or whatever, but you can make a choice. It's just that when I was young, I just wanted to be so professional that I would never allow time to do anything that was um, not what I considered to be the best for my tennis. So I think that's, that's the hard one. You know, if, if somebody close to you and your family's getting married and you can't be there because they have rudely decided to do it on the first day of the US Open. I mean, what can you do, right? And, uh, you know, and, and that's the way it goes. So that that sucks. So the new season is is very young, but we're up and running. What are you already most excited about for 2019 in the tennis world? Well, I forgot to say that doing Pune, the final was huge literally huge because we had <laughs> Karlovic playing against Anderson and it was the tallest final in ATP history so already get excited we've already <laughs> peaked in week one of 2019 we have peaked and how many tie breaks were there uh, three out of three of course no <laughs> breaks to serve it's one of those matches where I personally I, I really enjoy doing something like that in the beginning, like you can really get into it. There's loads to talk about playing at somebody like Karlovic because he's so different to all these other players. You have to have a totally different mentality. So there's loads and loads to talk about when it comes to a Karlovic match. And I always really enjoy that. It's just when they get very long and we get into the second and third sets, it can become quite difficult because... I mean, there aren't many rallies, let's be honest. And, uh, you know, and, it, and it's, quite, it's quite quick. And, you know, you've explained how difficult the serve is and he's acing and he's acing and he's acing. And you've already explained how challenging the serve is and you've re-explained it in a different way. <laughs> so it can, be, um, it can be quite difficult. But one thing I would say is that for anyone who thinks that Karlovic is just a serve, I genuinely think that they're wrong. Because if I was a coach of somebody playing an opponent of Karlovic and my player was going out to play against Ivo Karlovic or somebody like him, I would say your job is to turn him into just a serve. So what you need to do is make sure that when you get your returns back into play, you get it down to the feet because actually his volleys are excellent. But if you get it down to the feet all of the time and you're accurate with that, then you take away his volleys. Uh, and actually, if he has time and the ball is not is not too deep on his forehand side, he can absolutely wallop it and it can be a weapon. So you have to take that away by keeping the pressure on and keeping the depth. So I always say to people, you know, I've heard many people look at him and say, he's just a serve. And my response would always be, well, his opponent's doing a bloody good job then because they're taking away all of his other weapons. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no real way to take away that serve as a weapon. You can't, you can't <laughs> neutralise it. Even the best returners in the world will struggle. They can do all right off the second serve, but they will struggle. So it's a, very, it's a fascinating match. Uh, and of course, Anderson's playing brilliantly. But you, it's just, it's a match-up, you know, where two players are quite clinical in the way that they play. So it it can have quite a clinical feel to the match. But, you know, I mean, I was with um, Mikey Pereira commentating on that and, um, and we, we, we really enjoyed it. 
Absolutely. And, the, and of course, with the Kailovic matches, it comes down to moments. It's a moments match. There are a couple of moments here and there and you have to nail them. So that's really exciting and really intense. But yeah, it was a huge start to the year. That's for sure. I was thinking the other day, we do a predictions competition for ATP Tennis Radio. And very shortly, when I get to Australia, I'll be sitting down with Peter Mercato and we're going to have to put down all our sort of picks for the year. And one of them is the winner of each of the four Grand Slams. And we also add in London at the end. And I was thinking the other day, I know he was beaten by Roberto Bautista Agut in Doha. But am I brave enough to put Novak Djokovic down to win the four Grand Slams. Ooh, oh, the four. I thought we were just talking about Australia and I was thinking, it's not that brave. No. Come on. <laughs> He's kind of the favourite. You're picking the favourite. <laughs> oh, and do you know what? With Australia, the, I hear... The four. I, just to help you with your predictions, let's not tell anyone else. But with Australia, I hear uh, that they have changed their balls from Wilson to Dunlop. And these balls, these new balls, Dunlop balls, are roughing up so quickly. So they are slowing down really, really fast. So if anything's going to suit Djokovic, that'll be it. And it's going to be anti-Federer. So Federer's not going to be particularly happy with that because the old balls, the Wilson balls, were really quite zippy. And uh, Federer's probably going to be scheduled in the night as well, where it's going to be slower and heavier. So I think all things are, are pointing towards a Novak Djokovic victory there. But that is interesting. But all four? All, all four, four? Do you think? I, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm tempted to put him down. I think with, I know there's Roland Garros and Paris, but Nadal, the, these injuries, and they really, the knee we know has been ongoing for ever, but it really began that this series of injuries, the Australian Open last year when he had to retire against Marin mm. Cilic, and that was, that was the leg and that was the hip. And now that the thigh, he's playing in the fast four tennis in is it in Sydney, but he said that it's precautionary, precautionary and I'm not sure. And he had that little, thing on his ankle in the off season and I, so I'm not sure where can Nadal keep doing what he's doing to his body I'm just not sure he'll obviously be targeting that and Novak Djokovic Andy Murray it's brilliant to see him back and competing but realistically what level can he get to Roger Federer is still Roger Federer the Hotman Cup was fantastic but I, I, I am tempted to give Novak Djokovic four. Clean I mean he's never done it before he's held all four but he's not done the slam in one year, has he? Um, the grand slam, that's what it's called, right? Oh, I don't know. I think the biggest question mark really is Roland Garros, isn't it? Yeah, I think absolutely. I really I really think that he will win Australia. I really think that he will win, will win Wimbledon. Uh, question mark over Roland Garros and a, and a question mark over US. Which women is going to win Australia? How do you see that shaping up? I'm very excited already by Irina Sabalenka, but maybe a little bit too soon possibly for her. Caroline Wozniacki has arrived. She's back in Melbourne. Simona Halep, no coach. No coach, I know. The women's is, is great. I mean, it's so open. Most of the players who are playing really well are not big hitters, uh, with the exception of maybe Osaka. I mean, the the most informed players you're looking at, Svitolina. Um, I know she lost early um, this week. But Svitolina, Wozniacki, Halep, in terms of who were playing well at the back end of last year. And then, yeah, you've got some of the some of the young ones. Uh, I mean, Osaka is playing brilliantly, but then just kind of randomly played a bad match out of nowhere. And I suppose that can still happen to her. She's still very young. But what an amazing press conference. Also Kerber, of course. Oh, and the press conference, uh, I mean, for Osaka. Osaka's brilliant. In Brisbane was was amazing just saying her poor attitude cost her a place in the final it's a valuable lesson for improvement it was it was 
really interesting and nice to sit and listen to someone just be so open and say, look, I know it was rubbish. I was sulking. I had this feeling, etc., etc." It was, uh, she, I think she's a real breath of fresh air. Oh, for she's tour. awesome, isn't she? I think um, if anyone hasn't seen it, you've got to listen to it. It's an, I think I, I tweeted it out so you can find it on my Twitter, but like it, it's a must watch. Um, because it's such a great insight and I think it's very easy as fans who have not played at that level to to sit there and get frustrated you know when Murray's been kicking off with his antics and and of course you know Osaka was as in her words was sulking in the match and and whatever whether it's Nick Kyrgios I mean maybe he's a different category I'm not sure (laughs) but actually I mean you can see how I mean, Osaka seems almost mortified at her behaviour. I mean, she she she's so embarrassed and ashamed and she's apologised so many times for it. She put a thing on Instagram and she did her press conference just saying, like, it was awful. I can't believe I behaved like that. I'm really, really trying to not do it, but I can't not do it. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand is that it is such a pressure cooker out on the court. And you're under so much pressure and you're so nervous that it is just, sometimes it can be impossible to control your emotions. She would have known in that match that her best way to win the match was to stop sulking, stop being negative, to give herself encouragement and try and get back on track. She knows that. She's not an idiot. She's won a slam. But she just couldn't do it. And she's frustrated because she said, look, I keep telling myself to be more mature. And then when I can't play well and when things don't go my way, you know, I throw my toys out of the pram and and whatever. And I think that's probably the most important thing that I think we can learn as fans is that it is just not as easy as it seems to be in control in those moments. And the amount of matches you play as a player where the minute you shake hands and walk off the court, you think, oh, my God, I wish I could just do that all over again. And you know it all through the match. You're telling yourself, come on, be more positive, do this, do that. And then you miss a shot. And then, you know, you say every swear word under the sun and say, you're rubbish at tennis. Just quit. (laughs) She even said afterwards that the experience was actually better than winning the tournament because then they say that you you take more out of defeat than victory because you're learning and you're working on on what to improve. But I, I think it's great, just that honesty, in the pre- any of her press comments, just listen to any of her press conferences. They they are very entertaining. She's got a great relationship with Courtney Nguyen, the senior writer for WTA Insider. Some of their exchanges and press conferences <laughs> are brilliant. And her coach, Sasha Bain, won the Coach of the Year yeah. award that he was presented. And that's brilliant because this is his first main coaching role. He was hitting partners, we know, with Serena Williams for so long, spent a little time with Azarenka. He was sort of a coaching consultant with Caroline Wozniacki. But this is his first lead role as it were uh it's it's well it was an incredible incredible first year that they had together and has smashed it and anybody who's listened to their exchanges on the court knows that he's just doing an absolutely fantastic job and Osaka knows that he has been a big reason as to why she's done as well as she has as quickly I mean the potential's always there and I very much you know I'm not surprised that she's got to where she's got but she did it very very quickly and how she learned through 2018 and and a lot of that is to do with your coach because your coach has to clarify things every defeat they have to sift through everything that happened for the two hours and condense it down into a two-minute package of things that are valuable the lessons to be learned the points the shots that need to be watched back and then you can move on and then you have to go out and execute it so he's just he's been brilliant you mentioned Kerber a short while ago and I think that Angelique Kerber is who I'm going to go with to win the Australian mm. Open. I it, it's the it's the tempting bet, isn't it? 
I mean, she just seems like she's loving it, just loving every second. And, and I mean, I suppose not worryingly, but it just seems like that's quite rare on the WTA tour that people are just out there loving it. I, it just, I mean, you know, when you think about Muguruza and, and sometimes Halep at times as well. I mean, Halep sometimes only seems to be happy when she's won, but she's got better. She's got much, much better. But a lot of players just really... I'm sure they are. <laughs> they don't look like they're enjoying it very much. <laughs> Someone who does is Arena Sabalenka. She won Shenzhen. She beat Alison Risk in the final. She always looks like she's having the best time. Oh, winning or losing. Happy, smiley, loving life, hitting the whatever out of the ball. I think mm-hmm. she's, I think this year it could be a really good, she's still so young, the Belarusian, but you know, she has fun. She says the biggest thing for her is to not eat sweets because that's all she ever wants to do. She, I think she, I think she's another one who's, who's great for the game. She's exciting, but again, she can be really, really hot or really, really mm. cold on the tennis court. You know, she's going to play a blinder or you're going to look and think, oh, crikey. But I, I, I think maybe it's too soon for me to say that she's going to win the Australian Open, but she's definitely, I think one to watch, one to be in the mix this year. Yeah, I think she could win a slam this year, definitely. I mean, yeah, Do you? I think she could. I'm not. I don't oh. necessarily think she will. I'm not sure if she's quite ready yet. But then maybe Osaka wasn't quite ready, and she managed to. Ostapenko definitely wasn't ready, and she managed to. So maybe the whole, you know, okay, there are some players like Wozniacki and Halep who have to win about a billion titles before they get a slam, and there are others that. Just do it as if it's part of their learning process, which is what we've seen with Ostapenko and Osaka. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, as I say, you know, going back to the balls thing, and look, I'm not, um, not our mega balls, but the, the Australian Open balls, <laughs> the Australian Open balls, they are slower, um, and that does tend to suit the counterpunches a little bit better. And although it can really benefit if you've got a big striker like an Osaka or a Sabalenka who is in form and feeling great, then actually a slow ball can really help them as well because they just get that bit of time to really line up. And if they're feeling good, then they can just hit through. It doesn't really matter how slow the surface or the ball is. But I feel like the people who are in the best form are maybe the more more counterpunchers. Even though, even though Svitolina and Wozniacki have gone out earlier you know, this week, I mean, probably looking at Kerber. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just so open, isn't it? I mean, every result has been unexpected on the WTA in the last year. I mean, it was unexpected that Serena got to two slam finals. I mean, craziness. Uh, and Osaka, I mean, everything that's happened. I mean, Wozniacki winning her first slam, Kerber winning in Wimbledon when that's not really necessarily the best surface for her, whatever. I mean, it's been... It's been it, 2018 was great for women's tennis. I came across a fact. I don't want to call it a random fact, but it's a fact that I hadn't heard before. It's a fact that's been out there, so you might know this. But it kind of stopped me in the track slightly. It's it's about Sloane Stevens. Do you know what she would be if she wasn't a tennis player? Oh, uh, a singer. No, uh, an embalmer. Oh, shut. She's shut up. An embalmer. No, I'm no. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. She 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 was doing. She, so she's dreamed from a four-year-old little girl in primary school when the teachers say, what do you want to be when you grow up? She said, I want to be an embalmer. She, 
this, I, when I, she was doing a Twitter Q&A saying, you know, I've got some time, ask me some questions. So lots of questions. And one of them was, if you weren't a tennis player, what would you be? And she said, I'd be an embalmer. And, and I thought, well, that's just got to be joking. Is that, it's a bit random. So I did a little bit of research and it's true. And she said it before because when she was young, maybe still, her family owned a funeral home. And another thing that came out of this is when she was young, she got locked in a freezer full of dead bodies <laughs> at the funeral home that was owned by her parents. Oh, wow. <laughs> God, that's traumatic, isn't it? So, wouldn't, that send, that, wouldn't that send you the other uh, way, though? Would, wouldn't you be like, I'm terrified of dead bodies? Well, I, I imagine if your family owned a funeral home when you were young, you were brought up around it. So if you'd been brought up around fields of Christmas trees. You wouldn't have this weird fear of Christmas trees. And you would, ha you would have a Christmas tree at Christmas. It's, I, I imagine if, if you now went out for the day and got locked in a freezer full of dead bodies, I mean, it, it would, would have to seriously give you some help because you'd be in shock. But I imagine if it's something you've been around a lot, it's normal to a point. Maybe not being locked in the freezer with them, but being around that's them. That's fascinating. That, that's definitely the most interesting one I've heard for what would you be if you're not a tennis player? Yeah, see? Most of the guys say footballer. An embalmer. Which is quite boring. It's a conversation stopper, isn't it? Can you? What would you be if you weren't embalmer? It, All right. Like, it, is that a joke? Is that serious? Well, maybe what, she's, not, maybe she's not saying that's what she would want to be, but that's, just probably, what, that's probably what she would be because her family own a, a funeral home and that sort of thing. Maybe it's just a... Well, I, th I think it sounded like she would quite like to do... I feel that... I feel that if there was an opportunity to speak to her, I'd like to speak to her. But the problem is, normally in interview set, there are occasions where uh, a publication or an organisation can get a sit down with a player, whether it be written, radio or TV. And you've got sort of 20 minutes and it's fabulous. But, but normally at Grand Slams, you get three questions. <laughs> so can you imagine if one of my questions was did you really want to be an embalmer? So I've only got three questions with Sloane Stephens. And, you know, how are you feeling? Because she's not, um, coach isn't with her in Australia. They seem to be taking a bit of a, a break, as it were. So you want to maybe speak about that, her form, how she's feeling. Can you imagine if I went back to my bosses and said, I used one of my questions, one of my three questions to ask about embalming. I think I've gone mad. So I feel... I think gold stars, they'd say that's genius. So I feel, I'm not sure there's there's going to be the opportunity. And also I was, I met someone at sort of a Christmas drinks thing. I was chatting to them and they said, oh, you work in tennis. And I said, yes. And he said, I've just come back from staying with Venus Williams. And I didn't know this person and I didn't know what they did. They were a friend of my parents friends and he said I've been visiting Venus Williams because she wants to start a skincare line nice because she said that she can't find the right cream for her skin everyone's skin is so different she said, I just can't find the right so she's actually going to produce her own skincare line and he said he was invited out to her house and he said they turned up in sort of suits and really formal wear and when they got there Venus was so relaxed and laid back she said look next time guys you know it's swimming costumes it's shorts it's flip-flops just relax and make yourself at home and he said he had a fabulous time with her because it's hard because the Williams sisters we've often found and maybe Serena now she's had a daughter maybe we're seeing a little bit more of the Serena Williams but it's and we've spoken about this before in press conferences it's kind of tough to get the real Serena and Venus you know they come in and give you the answers and off they go but he said 
she and he he's not in he's not in the sporting world he's not in this he said it was really lovely she was very relaxed very welcoming took them to the local mall where everyone knew her in the shops and she was pottering around and made them food back at the house and said make yourself at home and said she was so lovely and so relaxed and he was really surprised at that when I told him that we don't really ever get to see the real them he was so surprised he said you could not have met someone more open and funny and relaxed and down to earth and welcoming Mm. he said the way welcomed into her house and as I say, being told to relax and do this, let's jump in the car and let's go and do this. And and as you say, it was really nice for me to hear because if if I'm sent to speak to Venus Williams after a match with my three questions, I'm sort of glad I've only got three because <laughs> I'm not getting, you know, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get an awful lot there. I mean, she'll be polite, and but you're not going to find out about Venus. And this chat with this guy for about 20 minutes, you know, I probably learned more about Venus Williams from speaking to him for 20 minutes than from following her. But he, 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 I think he, we might need to get him on the podcast. He's fascinating. He's also doing a shower gel campaign for Leo Messi, <laughs> which, which is, I was like, okay. Um, he's worked with Mariah Carey. Nice. And Britney Spears. Remember when she shaved her hair off? Mm. He had worked, he had worked on the perfume uh, sorry, we really are sidestepping now. This is the ish part. <laughs> he had worked on her perfume and there were big billboards around America with this perfume coming out and, and Britney Spears with with the long hair. And the night before the perfume's release was when she shaved her hair off. Ah. So they're all getting ready for this campaign. And suddenly I get a call saying, this has just happened with all these billboards with sort of lots of hair. But he said in the end, it, it, it it's it's publicity and then... Everyone was talking about it, and it. But it was it, he was fascinating to talk to. But that was his first foray into the tennis oh, world. Okay, all right. So shower shower gel with Leo Messi, and skincare with Venus Williams. Wow, the people you meet. I just well, it's it's it's. I mean, but that that's such a fascinating thing, isn't it? I mean, who would have thought a career in skincare would take you into the lives of those people? I mean, that's, that, I mean. Very cool. It's amazing. Something else I think that's that's very cool, and we were we were chatting about this on message, probably just when you were getting ready to do your tennis and your very long final. But I'd been chatting on social media to Gemma Louise Stevenson. Ah, yes. Who's a journalist, presenter, she's an athlete, follows wheelchair tennis an awful lot, and she is determined to get disability sports more into mainstream media. I met her a few times at events. And she set up a GoFundMe campaign because due to her deterioration in her disability and problems with funding, she was left fundless, if that's even a word, for the first chunk of the year, which, as we know, is is over in on Australia and needed to raise some money to be out in Australia to have a to care, to be with her. And, and I'm happy to say that only took a few days and Gemma has reached the target, gone past the target and will be out in Australia because she does such an amazing job at raising awareness and putting it in the mainstream media. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, the w- wheelchair tennis is phenomenal. I'm I'm really lucky to, I mean, I coached a couple of the players for for maybe a couple of years, actually. Um, a guy called Mark McCarroll and also Andy Lapthorne, who's won some slams. Um, I was coaching him for uh, quite a while and it was fascinating 
just fascinating working with them. I mean, they're, they're amazing people. The sport is amazing as well. It is a professional sport. You can earn a lot of money. Um, it's not just about the Paralympics, which it is for so many other sports. It is, it's a full-time job. It's an amazing job. They go to all the Grand Slams. They, you know, there are, there are lead-up tournaments to the Australian Open as well. They'll play... I think there's another tournament in Melbourne that they play the week before. So yeah, no, I'm and I'm really good friends with uh, with Alfie Hewitt and, and all of the players that she works with, and I'm such a big supporter of them and what wheelchair tennis does. It's run by the ITF; they're kind of in charge of it all, and it's it's amazing the progress they're making. And it and it's been slow going; it's been frustrating, but they are getting themselves into such a great position you know showcasing at, at lots of different tournaments as well they had wheelchair tennis at queens this year didn't they yeah they did it was at the first time it was uh, an exhibition to show what they can do and they they were saying it's it's really difficult moving from the clay to the grass and and how tough it is playing on the grass and it was it was really interesting had some really good crowds Gemma was there mm. interviewing Gordon and Alfie interesting though you talked about coaching you mentioned Andy Lapthorne how did you have to adjust as a coach or not at all to working with Andy in terms of what he wanted and needed to focus on what were the challenges you faced well, I think actually a lot less than I anticipated. Uh, first of all, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was approached to see if I would uh, would work with them, and um, so we had a group of three. We had Mark McCarroll, Andy Lapthorne, and Jordan Wiley, who's also won lots of slams as well. And and they they came to us as a three, and I did some squad stuff with with Jordan, but I didn't work with her individually. She worked with another coach, a guy called Paul Seymour, who did a fabulous job with her. Yeah, there were less challenges than I thought, which was really kind of bizarre because ultimately tennis is still tennis. The lines are the same, the courts are the same. It was just about the movement, really. There are just certain shots that aren't effective in wheelchair tennis that would be effective in tennis because because you're allowed two bounces. So, for example, a drop shot, you know, you better hope that your opponent is miles away <laughs> because the, <laughs> the ball's allowed to bounce twice and you bet, and it's got to have a lot of cut on it and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of fascinating. Also, it's individual to each player, as it always is as a coach, because it's about their disability and their ability and how that affects them, what they can do, what they can't do and how that and you have to build a game around it. But that's no different to me working with a 12 year old, figuring out what they're good at, what they're not good at and, and working with it. It's incredibly challenging to move a wheelchair and play a tennis shot in a very short space of time. It's phenomenal. I mean, I tried my best uh, to, to, to learn. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, look, working, working with Andy was great. I mean, I had such a laugh. I mean, he's such a great guy. He's so relaxed just absolutely fascinating I mean one is just that they use the reverse forehand oh this is really tough to describe without being able to demonstrate it but on the backhand side because they have to move uh, the chair if the ball's up high on the backhand side you cannot take it as a backhand it's just impossible because you just because as you hit the ball you'll basically throw your hips around as you're trying to drive the ball forward and then you'll be facing the back of the court which is just not helpful really so <laughs> what they do is they turn the racket over and they play a reverse it's called a reverse forehand 
and it's it's amazing. Just watch it. Just go on YouTube and watch some of the finals. That I mean, the top guys that play against each other is just an outrageous standard. Uh, it's an amazing sport, and I'm so thrilled that so many players can be professional. That they are professional and they can earn money from it, and that money's increasing. And it's fantastic that not only are the slams taking it seriously, because of course it is an ITF run thing and of course the slams are ITF as well so it's great they've had the platform in the slams for a number of years and but actually that tournaments like Queens are showcasing it and and it's becoming more and more linked in with what we see on the regular tour on the ATP and WTA tour um, well worth watching like for sure it's it's awesome and Gemma has as you said has been a huge part of driving their profiles and you know I mean these guys particularly in Britain I know Alfie and Gordon I mean they're famous it's amazing I've been asked <laughs> to take many a picture of somebody with Alfie <laughs> Alfie Hewitt that's for sure I'm hoping to have a chat with Gemma out in Australia. Now she's going to be in Australia, which is brilliant. As I say, she does have a, a GoFundMe account set up. Gemma Louise Stevenson, people want to have a look at that because the next time we speak, when actually when most people are listening to this, I will be in the plane because I'm going to be in the plane to Australia for a very long time because I was probably the only person on the planet because the, the company will, you say the date's and sort of rough times you would like to go and sort of kind of who you'd like to fly with. You get a bit of sort of say and then then your flights arrive. Maybe I was the only one on the planet that didn't realise there was a direct flight to Australia. <laughs> um, I now know there is because I'm on it for 17 hours. Seven, no, still not sure how well, I feel about that. you've said this to me a number of times in the past few days. I feel like, firstly, you're psyching yourself out. You're making this into a big deal. I was psyched out from yeah, but, the start, but I think. For me, I just feel like anything past 10 hours is really long. A 12-hour flight feels the same as a 15-hour flight. 17? I mean, 17. Yeah, but I get it. But like past 17. 10 hours, you just need to try and sleep and you're bored and it's long. Like, I just don't... I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. Like, what's really, what's the difference between 15 and 17? Well, I know it's actually two hours. but Two, two hours. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> of course it is. It's one film. One film. What do you mean it's one film? It's 17 no, hours. It's a long two film. hours. It's just one extra film you've got to watch. That's all right. How was the um, Lord of the Rings, those three films, how long three were they? Three hours each. All three. Is there like a three? Oh, God. So nothing nothing could get me it's 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 going to be lot and then i've got 3 hours to melbourne once i get to perth right which will probably feel like a breeze yeah. once i've done that bit so i'm i'm i can't say I'll obviously be listening to our podcast on the flight, which is not going to take up. <laughs> well, that much. we can keep going. <laughs> should I just should I just listen back to the back catalogue? So yeah, then the next time we speak. And we're still going to work out how we're going to do this. It's going to be because you're working on the Australian Open from the UK. Yes. So I'm, I'll obviously be out there. So we've got to sort of work out time differences. One of us is going to be very, very sleepy. And one of us is going to be very, <laughs> there's going to be some strange, <laughs> strange podcasts coming up over the next <laughs> two or three yeah, weeks. I don't know. We'll, 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 we will figure out a way. But I do think that you're maybe just, I mean, look. All these scientists and engineers have been pushing forward technology to finally get us to fly to Australia directly. And here's Gigi complaining, saying it's too long. But I wasn't, it's too I wasn't long. one of the ones asking for the flight. <laughs> I, I, I quite like a little flight, stop, off, get back on, another little flight. 
I, it does save you. I think it saves seven hours mm. in terms of if you. I just it just feels a long time. But you're going to be there. You're going to be in Melbourne, and the sun will be there. You're going to have vitamin D. You're going to feel so good. It's going to be awesome. And you've picked Djokovic and Kerber to win. That's what we've ascertained. Is that right? Yes. I I'll go for a. I'd love a Kerber Halep final. Okay. How nice that would, would be that good. be? And I'm not sure he'll get to the final against Djokovic. Maybe Djokovic, Federer, or I'm not sure. But yes, they're, they're my two winners. So your your two winners are TBC, undecided. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 Djokovic, no, no, no. Djokovic. Okay, yeah. yeah. God, we're so yeah. interesting, Djokovic. And I think I might <laughs> go out there for for the women. But I haven't decided yet. We'll have to find it. Look, it hasn't started yet. Like it's fine. Yeah, but 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 the next time we do a podcast, it won't have started. Your woman no. might. Yes, yes. I tell it you will. what. Okay, will I will text it you my choice. Right. So then I can't go back okay. on it. And then when we record again, <laughs> we can talk about how my choice has gone it, out first round. Because <laughs> yes, it, <laughs> I was going to say because it has to be. You have to text me. Before it starts, before a well, ball is We've got to do our HP Tennis Radio predictions. So I haven't done those yet. Okay. And we should say congratulations to producer <gasps> Abby. Of course. Who got... Congratulations, Abby. Engaged over Christmas holidays. Oh. So 2019, we're going to have two live tennis recordings at well, weddings. you I keep saying wait. this. <laughs> and neither of us have okayed it. <laughs> So it will just be you recording things by yourself. Well, I, I, yes. Okay. So I'll just be sat there with the microphone sort of talking through wedding stuff. But we do want to say congratulations to Abby. Yeah, it's awesome news. Pre-Christmas present for Abby. So congratulations to Abby. And uh, yeah, no, it, it's great to be back doing tennis. We've had a little bit of a break. And the next time, I'm already lost on dates and when and how we're going to speak. But as I say, next time we speak, we don't know what time of day it'll be. I'll have got through my 17 hours and uh, and we'll be underway. 